Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a successful business, I've met, directly or indirectly, many successful people from entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes someone successful? Do we even know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create it for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Welcome to another Sandro Forte podcast. Today's guest, I'm delighted to say, is Nick Luby. Nick is a motivational speaker, a business coach, an author who specializes in communication. Nick has spent years helping global organizations as well as individuals improve the way they communicate to help drive business growth and success. Nick's books, The Invisible PowerPoint Show and Modern Zombies have helped people revolutionize the way they communicate. Nick has spoken to audiences all over the world and at TED Talks and has been known to employ tactics such as juggling lemons and undertaking risk experiments in his seminars. Gives me great pleasure to welcome our guest today, Nick Luby. Nick, welcome. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. Great to have you. So how did you end up, Nick, specialising in communication? Um, yes, yeah, quite, a, quite a tale, really. I used to sell. I used to sell, ironically, technology um, and the sort of technology that goes into a boardroom. So big screens, um, flash, kind of the, the electronics that make a meeting go really, really well. And what I found was the rooms would look great. And then the humans would come in and they would start having their meetings and presenting. And that wouldn't go so well. It was, um, it was as though they were letting my technology down. <laughs> and it was frustrating. And more and more questions were asked about the human side of communicating. So how should I do this? How should I do that? Rather than, oh yeah, the technology looks great. And I found that that was the bit that interests me. It's how does one human communicate with another human or a group of humans? It was less about how good the technology looked and more about what the actual content consisted of. So how do you find, and what are the problems really in the way that people communicate in your opinion? Um, it's, Slowly but surely, as our technology has got better and better and sleeker and more addictive, people have started to hide behind it. Uh, we, we had an opportunity to use our technology to enable more of the, the human communication. And unfortunately, we've taken a different turn and we've used the tech to replace the human. So what's happened is we've got a host of tools um, that are amazing. It's not as though we're going to give them up anytime soon, but they've moved us towards cheap, easy, and convenient communication. It's turned our interactions into simple transactions. And to do that, we haven't realized that cheap, easy, and convenient comes at a phenomenal cost, an outrageous cost, because it means we've had to sacrifice empathy, rapport, and resonance. You sacrifice one of those, things go bad. And we've let all three go. So as a parent myself, I despair of the number of times I see my kids uh, face buried in phone, doing, living their life basically. And uh, you know, you're lucky if you get a grunt or a groan. 
I, I'm, I'm already hearing people saying, well, that's all well and good, um, but technology's here to stay and it is what it is, but how do, we, how do we teach our kids to become better communicators? Because even in today's job interviews, Nick, people still have to learn, understand the art of communication. So Nick, wh you know, where do you start as a parent helping your kids to communicate more effectively? It's a, such a good question. And it's the sort of question that every parent seems to be asking. Um, and it starts with uh, looking quite inwardly. Um, it, it's ironic that our younger generation, on the one hand, we think as parents that they're going to struggle to communicate. But they're communicating absolutely fine, but in a different way. In fact, they're probably communicating better than we are, but it's very, very different. Communication has, has moved on at a, at a pace. And I think it's introducing the really valuable human aspects to that style of communicating. In fact, yesterday I was out for a meal with my daughter. So a family get together, my daughter's birthday, we went out for a meal. And we were approaching our table and walked past a table of four people. Two parents, two children. The food had arrived and the guy was still on his device playing solitaire. It's a family meal and he's playing solitaire. In other words, his technology has, has hooked him in and seems at that point more valuable than interacting with his family. So if we're not careful, we, we send the wrong message. We, we, we start to hiding behind our technology as well. So we've got a, we've got a real job to do. We've got to make some very brave choices to show our, the younger generation, our kids, the value, the value in what an interaction could look like over and above the transaction that will be happening, I guess, from one device to, to another. Mm. So, I mean, most people use an iPhone device, tablet, uh, to help them live their life that little bit quicker. You know, we, we live at a faster pace, don't we? Mm. So, um, are, are we giving up a degree of convenience if we're kind of taking a step back and um, perhaps spending some time away from that device? Is there not a... Is there a compromise or is this a question of giving up one thing for another? It's, um, it's definitely a compromise. The genie is way out of the bottle. It's not as though we're going to throw our devices in the ocean. There's enough, enough rubbish in the ocean already. Uh, but so there's no going back. Um, but there are some choices to make, some serious choices to make. And it is, it, it's going to mean that we may have to take an option that is less convenient, is less easy. It's, it's certainly more difficult and more of a pain to send someone a birthday card or send them a birthday text than just to say happy birthday on Facebook. It's more, it's more inconvenient to actually type a sentence rather than just plonk an emoji in a text. It takes more time. And the perception is we don't have that time. Well, I disagree. We, 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 have, we certainly have time to interact interact properly like a, a human would interact. But we've, we've chosen a, a far lazier route. So, um, and, and people ask, so well, well technology is just, a, it's evolution, Nick. Don't be so, um, don't be so old fashioned. My son would say, don't worry about it, dad. Uh, but I am worried because there's not as much value in a, a tech only interaction. And we don't have to look too far before we start to see relationships unraveling and um, a host of issues 
emerging because we're just relying on the tech only option. It's not going to be as easy, but it's going to be massively valuable. So let's just talk uh, for a moment or two about the books. So yes. not many people can attest to having written a book and you've written too. So um, let's just talk about the first. T- tell, tell us about what you mean by invisible PowerPoint. So that book was aimed at those people that were communicating with an audience uh, with a view that chances are they're still using PowerPoint to get their point across. And it was a host of strategies and techniques to take the emphasis away from the screen and back to the presentation itself. Um, And I toured around the country delivering a a one-hour invisible PowerPoint show and the book is based on that, that journey. And essentially it's 10 slides and the slides are all invisible, which is kind of weird. It freaks people out when I say we're gonna move on to slide number two and they're looking at a blank screen, not really sure where slide number one had gone. Um, but it, it, what it does, it takes people on a, a, a different journey around how we communicate with an audience. And yeah, we've got to work quite hard. We can't let the screen do all the work. And far too many people rely on it um, and, and almost hide behind it. Um, and I remember I, I presented once at, um, at Disney, at their showcase cinema in, um, in Hammersmith. It's 400 people in the audience, the biggest screen I have ever seen in my life. And the big projectionist said, uh, so what would you like on the big screen? And I said, well, if you wouldn't mind, just, just leave it blank. Performing in front of an enormous screen that excruciatingly is blank is, is quite hard work. But what it does, it, it teaches people a different view of how to communicate with an audience. And it only took an hour and it changed the way people communicated forever. Powerful stuff. And on the back of that, I wrote the book about everything I learned through that journey. Wow, that's incredible. Um, the one I'm really interested, only because I've read it, um, tell us about modern zombies. How did that come about? Tell us, if you can, a little bit about the book and what inspired it and what you share with your audiences and those you coach. Yeah, that was, um, that was interesting. The book began as a book about all sorts of things that I know about communication. And it became uh, massively embroiled in a metaphor around human zombies. It dawned on me during the writing process that the, the biggest hurdle that we have of communicating and getting through to our audience, be it one person, be it a group of people, a team, or a much larger audience, is that we are becoming less and less human in the way that we communicate. And we are becoming more and more zombie. And that the, the book then, then became this, uh, this, this almost mission to wake people up to what's, what we're losing because of the, the technology. Um, some of the, the downsides to the distracting and addictive nature of our tech and how we can perhaps enhance our communication. And the more I look, the more I see these modern zombies hiding behind their devices. Um, the, the, the biggest indicator for me during this process, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of dancing. Love to dance. Took me so far out of my comfort zone, it was ridiculous. A life-changing experience learning to dance. And if I'm very lucky, my, my lovely partner, my wife and I, will escape away for a weekend where there's live music and there's dancing. And we'd, we'd um, manage to escape one weekend and the big Saturday night, 
live music. We're not yet on the dance floor, but we're close. And I'm a big fan of watching people. And I'm watching the dance floor, and there's a, there's a big guy with his partner on the dance floor, and he's dancing quite rightly like nobody's watching. He's letting it all, quite literally, letting it all hang out. It's beautiful to watch. And um, the, the song comes to an end, and the band change, change tact, and they play a slow song. And love is definitely in the air. And he's, he's got his arms draped over his partner. And they're, they're, they're moving from side to side. And the, the slow music is playing. And he's texting. Over her shoulder, he's texting during a slow dance. The, the, cynic, inside, the cynic inside of me could not stop thinking, I wonder if he's texting his wife. <laughs> but soon after, the thought went... I, I don't know if that's outrageous. Should I be shocked? Or is that the new normal? And the more, the more I see, the more I travel through this magical world of ours, I realise this is, this is the new normal. We cannot be separated from our technology. And it's really changing who we are. So what would you say to, to people who are listening to this saying, well... That's great, Nick, but you know, I've got a mobile phone. Don't, don't think for one second I'm giving that up. I mean, I live my life on this thing. I, I order food and I call my friends and I play games. This thing lives with me 24 hours a day. You mentioned about improving communication. As a first step towards a, a new way of approaching technology, what would you say to people as perhaps a way to move towards something that you know, is more in tune with what you're suggesting. How do they make that first step? Yeah, it's a really good question. And again, it's tough. The first step is tough. I, I admit that. Um, and I'm not suggesting that we get rid of our technology. The tools are too good. We, we, we rely on the tools so that are just so good. So good. Why on earth would you want to get rid of those? Um, the first step would be to change your relationship with that device, that fruit machine that lives in your pocket. Um, I do suggest people stop calling it their phone. I get it. There's, a, there's an app on there that enables you to make phone calls. It's not the most popular app by a long way, um, but there's an app on there. I suggest people start calling it their device, and it begins to change the dynamic, the relationship between you and that thing that you're never parted from. And it kind of starts waking you up to it's, it's a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool to help me navigate better, communicate better, um, to entertain me, to keep me um, occupied when I need occupying. But the problem with the tech is it's designed to be monstrously addictive, massively so, beautifully designed, and it is. It is hugely addictive. To do, it's, um, it's amazing at just giving everyone who uses them a little dopamine, just a shot of dopamine regularly enough that we can't let go. We're very, very addicted to these dopamine hits and the technology is designed to de deliver those amazingly. That's why they call them the little fruit machine in your pocket. Mm. Highly addictive. But you've, you've got to break that first kind of addiction and uh, that moment that your hand goes to your pocket to, to feel for your device um, as soon as you get a spare moment in a lift, on the, the train platform, just stop. 
Stop mm. reaching for it because you don't need dopamine all the time. And if you start calling it your device, that will help. Or just discover um, airplane mode. Just flick the screen up, hit the little airplane. It dawned on me that um, airplane mode is for those who, uh, who want to fly. But it's not necessarily aimed at those people getting on a plane. It's those people that really want to fly. They need to find airplane mode so they can, they can stop. They can breathe and begin to really think. Mm, interesting. Um, I've got to ask you this question. Lemon juggling. Uh, risk experiments. Tell us a little bit about what you do when you're working with individuals and, and corporates. Yeah, I used to be um, really afraid of taking risk. I used to be very measured. Um, and I realised that risk is it's the start of having an adventure. And it was started with the Invisible PowerPoint show, really. That's an odd concept. Presenting about PowerPoint with invisible slides. And the, the lemon juggling is used within that show to prove a point about visuals. The difference between visual, visual aids, something that will help you tell your story, and visual distractions. And I'll juggle with lemons to distract the audience. I love a good prop. Even better when I can juggle with the things. Um, and then during that discussion, while they're distracted by the lemons, I'll drop the lemons to prove the point about the difference between something that will help you tell your story and something that will simply distract the audience. And then I got braver. I discovered where courage lies in my presentations. And um, in one of my TEDx talks, I played catch with the entire audience to prove a point about communication. Certainly this modern uh, noise-filled ocean of communication. And the whole point was demonstrating the difference between uh, being heard and actually getting through. So I thought, why not? Well, I played catch on, on London's Tube um, to break down communication barriers. Why not do it with an entire audience? And it was mayhem, beautiful mayhem, exactly as it should be to demonstrate what modern communication looked like. And um, those people that were in the room at the time, it soon dawned on them during this experiment, the massive difference between actually getting through and a lot of fun as well. What I wasn't ready for during that occasion, when the lights were shining in my eyes so I couldn't see the audience as well as I'd hoped, um, then at the end of the experiment, all throwing the balls back. I didn't see him coming. <laughs> it, it's hilarious to watch if you, if you see it online. I did not know that was going to happen at all. Risks, you know, have they, they don't always work out, but that's part of the adventure. So with, with business becoming much more global now, I mm -hmm. mean, you, clearly you've seen that over the last so many years, um, and things like uh, Skype, video conferencing, all those things, has the advice you've given to people changed in any way? Does your view of communication, information technology, has that altered in any way, Nick? It, it has, because the, the, the tech is so good helping us communicate it's just we, we don't it's not as good as we think it is so we'll, we'll, we'll happily sit and send emails all morning and and think we've communicated not for a moment thinking out of the 267 billion emails that we send every day ours may or may not stand out from the rest um, there are 
there are techniques that, that tend to work better than others, but we seem to go into this quite blind. We, we think sending an email is good communication and, and we'll send dozens of them, but it's not necessarily getting through to the audience. We think a, a Skype call is better than an email, and in theory it should be, but we're not thinking about, well, how do I actually get my message across? We can see each other and hear each other, which is a good start, but not enough thought is given to, well, how do I actually communicate now we can see and hear each other? So the, 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 the framework has changed, the kind of environment within which we're communicating has changed, but some of the very um, classic human techniques that we, we are actually really, really good at when we communicate, they seem to be lost along the way. Do you see communication changing much in the future? Is, it, is this a growing problem? Will, will, it, will we ever get to a saturation point? Will we ever get to a point where you know, technology can only take us so far and then we start to regress? Or do you see this being a, a challenge? This is one of the biggest challenges I see of our time with regards to communication. Already you can have AI send your emails on your behalf. Already we'll see on various different social media, uh, a message will come in and the, the tech will suggest what our response should be. The, um, the onslaught of emojis are getting more and more detailed. I have no idea what they mean, but they're more and more detailed. There, there is, um, the technology is replacing not just our words and our sentences, but also um, because we're getting busier and busier, uh, it's replacing our, our real want to get involved on a, on, a, on a human level. It won't be long before AI is sending emails and the AI is responding to those emails and things are still getting done without us even being involved. Mm. How can um, changing the way you communicate really impact on the success of one's business, do you think? Um, there, there is a, a, a ridiculous perception that if I can get more stuff done, I'll be more successful. People aren't stopping to ask the question, is this the right stuff? Um, and is this the right way I should do? Whatever it is people are involved in. Um, if you, you take away empathy and rapport, and we are, we're quite happily sacrificing that, then relationships start to fall apart. Um, customer loyalty becomes uh, a thing of the past. So um, those people that have, have woken up to this, um, it seems at the moment, a fine line between where the technology will enable us to be more human and that hunger to interact like, like us humans, our social beings crave. There is a very fine line. Um, and when people harness that, there is masses of value to be had. One of the, the biggest opportunities is those organizations that have um, young workers, and not so young workers, developing a method of communicating that is a, a bit of both. There's value in both sides. That middle ground is, is almost where the gold is to be found. So as a, as a, as a husband, mm -hmm. as a father, mm -hmm. what are you bringing into your own family life that is uh, resonating with them, that's helping them shape who they are and what they do in the future? Little tips and techniques from Nick Luby, please. Uh, yeah, wow. I wish I was more successful at this stuff. I'm still learning, just like every other parent is still learning. 
Um, I don't understand how Snapchat works. I'm um, reliably informed I'm too old anyway for Snapchat, which is fine. I don't get it. I don't get it. But I'm interested. I will listen and I will ask questions. It's, um, it's, it's a mistake, I think, from a parent's perspective to assume that because we're, we might have traveled a bit and we have some wisdom, that, that we know it all. We don't know it all at all. And um, the world has changed so much since I was young. Um, if I don't observe and I don't ask questions, and if I'm not interested enough to stop and listen, I won't know what being a, a young adult looks or feels like now. So I'm, uh, I'm in the business of, of listening more than I am sharing my knowledge. Because until I understand, then I have no idea how my view or my wisdom might add some value. Mm. And um, here's something I grew up with. Mm -hmm. uh, Neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, mm. yeah. for the uninitiated. Um, is, is there any, anything from, from what you know about NLP that uh, people would find useful, that they should know about? Is it a question of mirroring tone, pace, in order to create empathy, or is communication more more than that to you? It's yeah, it's a lot more. I'm no NLP expert. I'm I'm aware of NLP, and my approach is just very. It's, it's more human and common sense, and to me, it makes sense that if you want to really connect, then eye contact is is great, and it's one of the things I I, I see younger members of a of a family and and just a younger generation struggle, struggle with because they're not used to the um, intensity of eye-to-eye -eye contact because it's much easier for them to connect through their, through their devices. Um, but there's massive value in that sincerity, that honesty that comes across with even a little bit of eye contact. It's where rapport and empathy starts to, to really build. Um, so there are the, the, the None of this is, um, is a dark art. It's, it's stopping and observing and taking a little bit of time to have a, a proper interaction. We've, we've no tech required. Mm. Um, the tech's going to enable a host of things. But when it comes down to having a proper conversation, I think you just need a bit of time and the, uh, the long-lost ability to listen actively to whoever you're conversing with. One of the things that uh, when we spoke recently I had a very fascinating conversation which is what prompted uh, this interview, this chat today. Uh, one of the things that I've done is started disengaging from email at five o'clock in the evening. Just that small difference has made a world of difference. Somebody once said to me, if you want to receive less emails, send less emails. Mm. You know, all those little lessons that we can start to, to pick up. Is there another book planned? There is a book. Um, Part of the, the adventure of what on earth's going on in, in the world of communication um, is having a great conversation with a colleague, coming up with an idea and, and starting. So the business of no um, is in, uh, in manuscript uh, stage at the moment. I'm writing it with uh, a colleague of mine who's a, a sales genius, a guy called Dave Dowling. Um, he, is, he knows his way around, around selling. And between us, we're going to construct the business of of no. So writing a book uh, is a bit like, you know, I, I had a go at one, 
Um, writing a book is a, is a bit like, for many people, running a business. So great idea. I know loads of people who say, I'm going to write a book. I've got a great idea for a book, but never really get off the starting line. What disciplines do you need to, to write a book? Because that must, does that involve locking yourself away for days and months of time, you know, never seeing your family again? Um, or is it, you know, can you approach these things a bit more straightforwardly? Because there is an analogy direct linked to business here where people say, I've got a great business idea, but I just don't know how to get started. What would you say to people who, who want to achieve something, just not quite sure what the first step should be? It's a, it's a great question because writing a book is really hard. I've, the amount of times I've started to write a book and it's, it's never really gone further than just a, just a few pages. I think you need a plan. Like, um, like a business plan, not as formal, but have an idea of where you're going, what you want to achieve through the book. And if it doesn't set you absolutely on fire with excitement, then uh, chances are you're just going to run out of steam. So if the plan looks good and what you're trying to achieve with the book looks good, then bite-sized chunks. The luxury of locking yourself away and, um, and just losing your, your, your head in the, in the manuscript is, is really is a luxury. Not, certainly not one that I have or most business authors will have. Um, there are strategies for that. My daughter, is a, she writes a lot more than I do. She's written 13 books now. Uh, she's just turned 24. And she, gosh, that girl can write. And she'll commit herself to writing um, the whole book in the month of November. More discipline and uh, more diligence than, than I have. But yeah, she can really turn her, turn her mind to that. I have to do small chunks. And, but the small chunks need to make sense, um, a little and often. That's, that's the way I, I would write a book. That, that's impressive. Kudos to her but, and to you. Um, t- two is good enough, but you know, three, very, very impressive. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, your, your content, what you speak about, Nick, is, let's be honest, controversial, isn't it? It's, yes. It's quite hard-hitting because a lot of people will feel very threatened by what you're talking about. You know, put down your device, part company with it for an hour or... Even for five minutes, a lot of people really struggle mm-hmm. with that. What would you say to people who are kind of listening now going, oh, well, that's, look, it's great. Um, I love where you're coming from and that's utopia, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, and um, it, it's, it's, it's the right kind of question to ask because there's no, there's no real sign of any change ahead. There's, there's glimmers of hope. I think the, the French banning devices you know, in school, uh, by all means, carry them in your bag, but don't get them out in school. I think that's a, uh, that's an interesting uh, move. Um, where where I seem to make an impact, um, the first people that get the message are parents, because they they see firsthand what it's doing to um, to the the young adults that are developing, even the, the tiddlers actually. They they can see a difference between a tech obsessed youngster and um, someone who's left the tech alone for a moment and has rediscovered what it means to be a child. Inquisitive, ingenious, creative. All of these, um, all of these skills are still there. They're just hidden behind all of this junk food that, that the devices are quite happy to deliver. But there's, there's the chance of everybody handing in their devices. Is, I wouldn't want that because the tools are too good. Um, it's, 
glimmers of hope, I think. That moment where you, uh, you put your device down and turn your attention to another individual. Yeah. Or you, you're really courageous and you go out for a short while and not even take it with you. There'll be, there'll be listeners who have there'll palpitations be people, at the be thought. There'll be people freaking out right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, checking their pockets right now to make sure the device is, is to hand. Yeah. But until you start breaking that, that addiction, until you step away, I'm not suggesting go cold turkey and, uh, and hide the thing, but until you take short breaks, you won't start to really appreciate what other value there is to be had in the interactions that await. But what's really interesting about this is that I, I, I hear more and more about a drive towards wellness, wellness programs mm -hmm. within the corporate marketplace. And we've probably seen more of that now than we've seen for a very long time. Is there anything that we can do in business? Indeed, is there anything we can do within the education system or at home that will help people to support your drive for this departure, this disconnect from... Um, from all of the addictions that we face in, in the world today. It's strange that you use the term disconnect, because I would call it a reconnect. Um, just reconnecting on a human level rather than a, uh, a disconnecting from our technology. Um, it's, it takes courage. I, I stand on stage and I'll let the world know that I am a modern zombie slayer. And people look at me as though I have, I've, I've lost the plot. But it soon resonates. And the, the drive to help other people become modern zombie slayers is tough. It takes courage to, to do something different. Because we're so reliant and so easy to use our technology and, and lose ourselves in that technology. Um, it's only the brave that will put it down and walk away. And I'm finding less and less people have that courage because it's, um, it's a, a, the, the tech comfort blanket it just delivers too much of that dopamine that we crave. Mm. So it's um, first step is to be quite courageous and just, just separate yourself for a moment and observe. Just don't reach for it as the first option. Just stop and observe. And what you'll see to start off with is just enormous um, numbers, a horde essentially, who are lost, lost behind their devices. It's, it's creepy that they've lost what that human interaction looks like. So you need to um, be quite courageous to, uh, to wield your metaphorical machete mm. um, and have an interaction, surprise someone, have a conversation, S spark up a conversation with a stranger, goodness me, try that. Goodness, can you imagine? Um, so Nick Luby is now having a conversation with a teenage Nick Luby. So you sat your son on your knee, mm -hmm. right son, listen to me, I'm going to share with you my wealth of experience, and clearly you have lots. What advice would you be giving to a younger version of yourself, Nick, if you could do it all over again, knowing all the things you know now? Wow, it would be weird to meet a younger version of me. I wonder if I'd be... Uh, really proud of who I was, or would I be cringing? Yeah, not quite sure, but I, I would definitely have some lessons. Um, first of all, we don't be afraid to make mistakes. I, was, I was, really was quite reserved as a 15-year-old. 
and uh, I, I went to school in a military boarding school, doesn't really lend itself for um, emotional intelligence. Uh, and yeah, I, I was afraid of, of getting things wrong, taking risks, which is, um, which is a shame because that's where adventure lives. And I, I would like to think I could encourage my younger self to say no more often to the things that didn't really serve me, to know my mind a bit better and start saying no more and taking the right, the right risks. Beautiful lead into book number three then. Oh. Yeah, it's come from somewhere, that's yeah. for sure. Mm. No, I, when, when the third book is written, we're going to have a lot more to talk about, I'm sure. Um, time is probably against us today, but I've found this really, really fascinating. Um, what I love about today's conversation, Nick, is that, you know, let's be honest, it's quite controversial. Um, it's going to have a few people um, kind of hiding under their blankets, thinking there's no way I can possibly do any of this. Um, but what I'm hearing loud and clear is just taking a small step isn't necessarily, it is one that involves a degree of courage, but it isn't beyond the realms of possibility. People can take that first little step, can't they? We all have a choice, absolutely. The, oddly enough, the message isn't anti-technology. It's just imploring people to use the technology uh, a bit smarter to enable more human interactions rather than just using it to replace them all. So um, final point, really, because mm -hmm. it's an important one. I'm sure lots and lots of people will be wanting to know an awful lot more about you, uh, accessing the book. Tell us how we find out more about Nick Luby, the business coach, the author. Um, ironically, yeah, you, you, you can find me online, which um, makes me smile every time I have to say that. So, uh, yeah, I'm on the, the normal platform. So you'll find me, uh, Nick Luby, on LinkedIn or at Nick Luby on Twitter. Um, I'm not on Twitter as much as, uh, as, much as some. Um, or the website, uh, feetontheground.co.uk, is, is where the training company lives. But the text great. You can Google me. You'll soon, soon find me. It might take me a little while to respond, but, but, but I'm still there. Today's been brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Nick Luby, hope to see you again in the future. Thank you very much indeed. That was the Sandro Forte podcast, and our guest today was Nick Luby. Lots more interviews to come, so follow us on social media, Sandro's podcast, same on all channels, and please share your stories, thoughts, experiences, and if you can, email me, hello at sandrospodcast.com. And finally, please remember to leave your reviews on the podcast on iTunes and tell us what you'd like more of in the future. Until next week. <laughs>